Welcome to the Valley Point Podcast in the series, The Three R's. Our big idea for the day is the church is a real thing. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 16. Enjoy and thanks for listening. I want to begin by asking two questions today. And these aren't just any questions, they are important questions. And how we respond to them does matter. But before I ask the two questions, I want to share our big idea for today, and that is the church is a real thing. This, what we're doing right now, this is a real thing, and it's more than just something to fill some time. And it's more than something that just makes us feel good. And it might do that, but there really is more to it than that. So the church is a real thing. And we're going to think through that today. So here are the two questions. What is the church and who is it for? What is the church and who is it really for? By the way, your responses to those questions will shape your feelings and your approach to the church. So what is the church and who is it for? We're going to think through that today and try to answer those questions. And so if you have a Bible or a device, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 16. This is the paragraph that we're going to unpack today. And it's a great paragraph because... In it, we find Jesus having an intimate conversation with his very close followers. And he's teaching them, and he's instructing them, and he's asking them some questions as well. And we're going to walk through this together. So in your program, there's also an outline, and I would encourage you to take that out and follow along and fill in some blanks because I really want you to track with me today as we walk through Matthew chapter 16. There's some QR codes in there as well. So if you have a device, you can scan those, and that'll bring up all of the notes and all of the scripture that we're going to use today. So Matthew chapter 16, I'm going to begin reading with verse 13. Here's what it says. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is. And so right away in this paragraph, we've got Jesus with his disciples, and he asks a pretty deep theological question here. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And often, whenever we walk through these types of verses or paragraphs, it can be really easy to focus on the questions and the theological components of what's happening here. And we're going to do that in just a moment. But there's something else mentioned in verse 1 that is pretty important to what's happening here and paints a full picture of what we need to understand as we think about what is the church and who is it for. And that is there's a city mentioned here. There's a location. And as it turns out, this is kind of an important part of this whole paragraph. So let's talk about Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi was an ancient Roman city that was located about 25 miles away from the religious towns of Galilee. 
And this is where Jesus spent most of his earthly ministry in and around the areas of Galilee. But he probably didn't spend a lot of time in Caesarea Philippi. But this is exactly where we find him today. The city's religious practices, though, were a bit different than the religious practices of these Jewish towns. There were some strange things that happened in Caesarea Philippi, and we'll talk about that. Caesarea Philippi's location was especially unique because it stood at the base of a cliff, basically a rock where water, spring water, would flow. It was kind of like a cave. Now, in Jesus' day, there were many pagans, and the pagans were polytheistic. They worshipped all kinds of different gods. And that was happening during this time where Jesus speaks to his followers. They also had this very strange fascination and attachment to different fertility gods. And these pagans believed that the fertility gods would go back and forth from the underworld to their world via water. Pagans believed that water was a symbol of the underworld. And so these gods, these fertility gods, would hide in the underworld during the winter months. It's probably too windy and cold for them to come out and do anything. And so that's where they lived during the winter months. And then during the spring, they would come out and get involved in all of the activities that they would involve themselves in. And so these pagans thought, here is this spring water... Here is this cave in Caesarea Philippi. It really served as a gate to the underworld. They literally thought that they were standing at the gates to the underworld, or we could say they thought they were standing at the gates of hell. And what these individuals would do to entice these gods to come out is that they would do despicable, immoral, ungodly things in order to catch the attention of the gods so they would come out and participate in different activities. And so this is where Jesus is going to have a conversation with his close followers in a place like this. Well, the other thing that's interesting about Caesarea Philippi is they were really attached to a particular god who was called Pan. Pan was basically a weird little god of nature. That's the best way to describe him. He was half goat, half man. He played a flute, and he walked around or flew around doing vindictive, mischievous things. He was really a creepy individual. If you saw Pan today, you would probably scream and run in the opposite direction, and that would be a good choice to make. So when Jesus brings his followers to Caesarea Philippi. This had to be a shocking thing for them. Caesarea Philippi was a red light district for everything that was wrong and everything that was ungodly. And you can almost picture what might have happened. That the disciples looked at what was going on around them and probably began to freak out a little bit and tried to get the attention of Jesus. Jesus, come on over here. We need a sidebar and have a little conversation. We're in Caesarea Philippi. This is an awful, ungodly place, and it is creepy, and we've got to get out of here because our reputations will be shot 
if people from other religious Jewish towns ever found out that we were here with all of this ungodly activity, and certainly this isn't going to help your reputation either. Jesus, we've got to get out of here. And then Jesus does one of these. Right? He just kind of puts his hand up and, hang on a second. I want to ask you a question. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Now, I think this is really kind of a funny question here because you can, again, picture the disciples listening to this and kind of rolling their eyes and saying, all right, here comes Theology 101 from Jesus. He's asking us questions, and we just need to get out of this God-awful place. And you pick up on a little bit of their sarcasm, I believe, and how they respond to the question that Jesus gives in verse 14. Here's what they say. Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah as one of the other prophets. Can we get out of here now? Because Pan is creeping us out. And Jesus begins to talk again in verse 15, and he asks them, but who do you say that I am? So Jesus talks for a little bit with them, and what are people saying about me? And then he kind of turns the table a little bit and directs it at them. And Simon Peter answered, well, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now, I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock, I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Now, there's some debate as to the theological meaning of the word rock. Was Jesus looking at Peter, saying, Peter, you are the rock, and you're going to be a very influential leader in what is coming, this new organization, this new institution called the church, which will be the hope of the world. You will be an influential leader in that church. You will be the rock. Is that what Jesus was pointing to? Or was Jesus being very practical and creative and saying, on this cliff, on this rock, in a place called Caesarea Philippi and in other places like it, I will build my church and the gates of the underworld or the gates of hell will not be able to stand up to it. What is Jesus referring to here? Well, I think Jesus is referring to both. I think he's looking at Peter saying, Peter, you are an amazing individual and I will use you and your leadership to have great impact as we launch the church. And that is based on your confession of who I am, that I am Jesus, the Messiah. And by the way, Peter, not only will I build my church on you and that profession, but everyone else who does the same and you will build the church. But I also think that Jesus was creatively saying, even in places as God-awful as Caesarea Philippi, even in red-light districts, I will build my church, and the gates of the underworld or the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against it. It's interesting because this is a prophetic message that we have from Jesus here. He's pointing to something, and he's talking about something that hasn't happened yet. 
and that is the church. And so I want to encourage all of us that when we gather and when we meet, we are actually fulfilling the prophetic message that Jesus gave in an awful, icky kind of place because we are the church. Now, this is great and extraordinary when you think about how we're a fulfillment of what Jesus was talking about in Matthew chapter 16. I think we can often overlook that and forget about that because we focus on these other kinds of questions. But it's really valuable to know that in Matthew chapter 16, this is the first mention of the word church in the New Testament. Right here, in Caesarea Philippi, in a really icky, awful place with Pan floating around with his flute, doing weird things with people. In that place, on that rock, Jesus looked at his followers and said, based upon your professions and everyone who follows, I will build my church, and it will even happen in icky places like this. And so we're trying to answer the question, what is the church? Right? So let's go back to what Jesus actually said here in this very first mention in the New Testament of the word church, and think about this. Verse 18. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church. There it is. That's the first time the word church is mentioned in the New Testament. And then Jesus said, all the powers of hell will not conquer it. That word church comes from the Greek word ekklesia. It's kind of a unique word, but here's what that word means. It's any public assembly or gathering of people in a political, religious, or informal sense. Church, ekklesia. Now, what's kind of interesting about that word is it's not specifically just a religious word. It's really any gathering of people. And when they get together, that is an ecclesia, that is a group. But what's interesting about this word is that it always speaks of people, not a place. And in Matthew chapter 16, it comes with a promise. And the promise is this. Jesus said, I will build my church. Like, this is my number one responsibility. This is my job. I'm not going to farm this out to anybody else. It's going to be my work to build the church, and I'm going to do it in such a way that the gates of the underworld and the gates of hell will not be able to stand up against it. It will have success. So what is the church? Here's the answer. It's a group of people. It's a group of people gathered together doing the kinds of things that Jesus wants them to do. That's what the church is, and we find it right here in Matthew chapter 16 in this unique place where Jesus is having a conversation with his close followers. The church is a group of people doing the kinds of things that Jesus wants them to do. Now, in a unique way, I think we get the opportunity to live this out in deeper ways than a lot of other churches that doesn't make us better. It's just because of our unique circumstances here at Valley Point Church. We don't have a building. We're going to have one in the future, but we don't have one now. And when we get that building, we'll even call it Valley Point Church. But it's not the church. It's just a building. And that's all it is. It's just a tool where we can accomplish the things that Jesus wants us to do, but the church is not a building. Buildings can blow away. Buildings can crumble, 
but the church moves on because it is a group of people. So when we think about this first question, what is the church? The church is a group of people meeting in a school, meeting wherever it is that they gather, doing the kinds of things that Jesus wants them to do. All right, let's think about that second question. And this one might be a little more interesting and can be tricky. And different people say different things about this. And that question is, who is the church for? And I want to submit to you that the church is for everybody. Everybody. And everybody is everybody. It just is. I think sometimes people think that the church can be a select, small group of individuals who all think the same way. And it can be just that type of group and that type of gathering where people who don't think the same way are excluded and pushed to the fringes. And when you walk through the pages of Scripture, that's really not the definition you find of ecclesia. It is a group of people doing the kinds of things that Jesus would do, but yet the church is for everybody. And everybody is everybody. We're in this series called The Three R's. And the first R is the word real. And what I've been trying to do for the past several weeks is just have real, open, and honest conversations with you about what God is doing in my heart and what God is doing in my life and how that impacts ecclesia, the church, specifically Valley Point Church. And this is something that is very near and dear to my heart, that we have a church that is for everybody. And so I kind of put a list together, and I just want to read this to you. This is my definition of everybody. You might think differently about this. That's okay. But I think from Scripture, this is kind of what you discover when the church meets. It's for everybody. So here it is. It's for those who love it and for those who hate it. It's for those who agree and for those who disagree. It's for those who think Jesus is great. It's for those who have no idea what to think about Jesus. It's for the non-believer and the believer. It's for the skeptic and the convinced. It's for the down and out, the confused, the broken, the depressed, the desperate, the hopeless, the addicted, and the abused. It's for the successful, the educated, and the accomplished. It's for everybody because there is power in ecclesia that has the ability to take a diverse group like that and turn it into a movement of hope with the promise of Jesus saying all the time, I will build this movement. I will build this organization called the church. And the gates of hell will not be able to stand against it. That's the church, and that's everybody. It's you. It's you. It's you. And here at Valley Point, we're desperately trying to do our very best to create a place that just breathes life and hope and purpose into the lives of people. Now, that all sounds great, doesn't it? Ecclesia, church for everybody, pom-poms and spirit sprinkles, or whatever it is that you want to call it. Right? That all sounds wonderful. Well, what I want to do is I want to take a few moments in this real conversation and talk to you about how we seek to live that out here at Valley Point. Because different churches do different things, and every one of them has to answer before God for that. We here at Valley Point have a very specific path that we take so that we can be the kind of church that we feel God is calling us to be. So I want you to know that I have 
We have here at Valley Point three different faith catalysts that drive what happens around here. And I really spend a great amount of time thinking about these faith catalysts, looking at them and making sure that we stay in these lanes. Now, as a church, we can't do everything. We can't. We have people resources and financial resources and other kinds of resources, and we could try to do everything, but then we would probably be doing everything poorly. And so we have chosen to focus our time and our attention and our people and financial resources into a few areas so that we can be ecclesia, a group of people trying to do the things that Jesus wants them to do. Now, this is not new information. You've probably heard some of these things before, but I want to review it because, again, it's just helpful to know where we're going as a church and where we're going as an organization. So here are our three faith catalysts, and I want to let you know we're not perfect at these things, and we never will be this side of heaven, but yet we're striving to do this. It's faith catalyst number one. We embrace people which means we welcome, include, and love people without expecting anything in return, and we deliberately create environments where relationships can thrive. We want strong relationships here at Valley Point. And when we open the doors, we want people to know that you can have a dynamic and living and thriving real relationship with God. That's possible. And this is something that God wants for each and every one of us, this real friendship with God. Someone who sticks closer than a brother who will never leave us, who will walk through everything that we experience in life with us. That's a real friendship, a real relationship with God. And every single person can have that. And we want everyone who comes to Valley Point to know that. But outside of a real relationship with God, it's valuable for us to have real friendships with each other. And so we're trying to create environments where these real relationships with God and with others can thrive. Secondly, we apply truth, which means that we are passionate about applying biblical truth so it makes a difference in how we live. We enthusiastically pursue practical teaching, and that's what's happening right now. When we gather as a big group, we try to teach in a practical kind of way. So that's what's going on right now, but we don't want to stop there. We want to encourage everybody with their own private disciplines, meaning outside of here, you need to feed yourself. So there's a meal on Sunday, but you're responsible to feed yourself Monday through Saturday. So we have practical teaching in a group sense, but we want everybody to be thinking about their own spiritual disciplines and their time and hunger for God's word. That's how we apply truth. Here at Valley Point, we think the Bible is a big deal. We really do. And it has answers and solutions. We've got to dig in and we've got to discover that and then apply it to our lives. We do that in group settings and we want to encourage everybody to do that on their own as well. Here's a third faith catalyst. It's live generously. And it means we intentionally use our time and resources to meet needs in our local community and around the world. We purposely invite many to personally invest in serving others. And right now, I'm really proud to say that there are 31 people from Valley Point serving in the Dominican Republic. And we need to lift them up and pray for them as they're there. I got a text that said it's 78 degrees there today. Maybe we shouldn't pray for them. <laughs> pray for us, actually. 
But we need to be lifting them up and praying for them. And I think they're being incredibly generous with their time and even with their resources. And they are giving and they are sharing in that village. And they're going to come back changed. That's living generously. This Saturday, we've got a love day at Valley Point Church. And we're going to gather at the Bethel Road campus and we're going to have a breakfast. And then we've got four different opportunities for people to give a little bit of time and serve right here in our area. There's actually a flyer in your program. I'd encourage you to take that out right now and look at the different opportunities. We're going to be in two different places in Chester, and we're going to be serving and loving people there. And then we're going to be at Pathways here in Wawa where there is a home for homeless mothers and their kids. And then we're going to be doing, uh, putting together bags of sunshine as well. Let me talk to you about bags of sunshine. Sounds kind of cheesy, doesn't it? Like bags of sunshine, whatever, ha, ha. But let me tell you, this has been a really cool thing. So we, for the past couple of love days, have had these bags that we put together, and it's part of the work day on that morning, and in the bags are candy and notes and other kinds of things that are supposed to cheer people up. And then we have a whole list of people that we just sense would really benefit from a bag of sunshine left at their front door. And then we give those addresses out, and people go, and they deliver those bags of sunshine. No conversation. Don't need to spend any time with them. Just deliver the bag with a handwritten note on the inside that says, we're praying for you, and we hope that you have a great day. Right? So we've been doing this for a couple of months now, and the response has been amazing. It's actually gone viral. We're getting notes from people because the Valley Point info is in the bag. They don't really know who delivered the bag, but we're getting notes and emails from people saying, Thank you so much for delivering a bag. I desperately needed that gift of sunshine on that day. And I've looked at those notes, and there are people there who weren't on the list. I have no idea how they got these bags, but they're getting the bags, and the point is we're delivering sunshine, and this is all about living generously and putting a smile on the face of others. And these are the things that we're trying to give our time and our attention to. Embrace people. Apply truth. Live generously. And I think the result of this, we really got serious about these catalysts and how they build the church, how they strengthen the church. If we really got serious about embracing people and applying truth and living generously, here's what that would produce. It would produce deep followers of Jesus Christ. Embracing people. Applying truth, living generously, it produces deep, deep followers of Christ. So if you want to be a deep follower of Jesus, just work on those things. And I think that's what will happen in your life. Occasionally, I have people come to me and they say, you know, I just need deeper something. Deeper this or deeper that. That's always a very puzzling question to me because my response to that is, deeper what? I think we need deeper anything. If we actually just did the things that we know we're supposed to do, as revealed in Scripture, that is in our hearts and on our minds, if we just actually did those things, it would have significant impact in our lives as well as the people around us. And that, in and of itself, would be deep. And the lane we want to get people in to do that is embrace people, apply truth, and live generously. And when we think we've accomplished that and done that, which is kind of a laughable concept. Well, let's go back and let's think about taking more steps in embracing people, applying truth, 
and living generously because this produces deep followers of Jesus. All right, so here's our takeaways for today. Ready for this? It's a shocker. Here they are. Embrace people, apply truth, and live generously. That's the takeaways. Embrace people, apply truth, and live generously. And when we do these things, we're encouraging each other. We're building the church. We're strengthening ecclesia. Because the church, after all, is a real thing. Father, we're grateful for this amazing passage that we find in Matthew chapter 16, where you talk about the church as an organization for the very first time. And you said there that you would build your church and you would make sure that it would stand and the gates of the underworld, the gates of hell would not prevail against it. God, we are here today. We are gathered as a church, as ecclesia, trying to do the things that Jesus wants us to do. And it's a fulfillment of that prophecy that you gave so many years ago in Matthew chapter 16, where you said you'd build it. So we're here today. And God, I pray that you would encourage us with the fact that we're a fulfillment of that prophecy. But God, help us not to settle. Help us to not be too content. Because as a group of people, as a church, as the ecclesia, we want to make sure that we're doing the kinds of things that you want us to do. So God, I want to commit again myself personally and Valley Point Church to living out these faith catalysts. Embracing people, applying truth, and living generously. God, when we do this, the church will be built up and we will be encouraged and we will see you accomplish great things through us, not just here in our community, but around the world as well. God, as I pray this, I realize that 31 attenders from Valley Point Church, 31 individuals who are a part of this place are not here this morning because they're in another place and they're on mission for you there. They're accomplishing the kinds of things that you want them to do. So I pray that you give them a great week. Keep them safe and help them to accomplish everything that they desire to accomplish. Give them favor with the people there. God, I pray that you'd bring them back transformed and changed. And we look forward to hearing their stories. So God, again, we're thankful for the church. And God, it's for everybody. Everybody who's in this room and everybody who's not in this room. God, help us to continue to build the kind of place that provides hope and purpose and life for everyone who enters this place. And we pray it all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. We'd also love to have you join us on any Sunday morning as well at the Garnet Valley Middle School at 9.15 or 11 a.m.